Hi, listeners. Today's episode is a reminder that your thoughts carry more weight than you probably think they do. If you Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Do you believe that your thoughts have something to do with your destiny? Like any great leader in history understands that. Everything that you do in your life, you, you have to have a thought before you initiate an action, right? Mm -hmm. So if you keep thinking the same thoughts and those thoughts be begin to fire certain circuits in your brain, the nerve cells that fire together wire together. So all of a sudden you start getting hardwired. And those are the thoughts that you can think the easiest. Mm -hmm. At the same time, those thoughts produce chemicals called emotions. And the next thing you know, your body gets accustomed to living by the same emotions. And it could be guilt. It could be unhappiness. It could be pain. But at least it's familiar to you. At least you can predict it. So mm -hmm. some people would rather cling to the familiar than take a chance in possibility. So for most people then they say, well, I don't really see how my thoughts have anything to do with my destiny. Well, that's because 95% of those thoughts are subconscious programs, right? So you're not even conscious that you think those thoughts. So mm -hmm. the first step to change is starting to think about what you've been thinking about yes. and change it. Most people though, when, they, when you do that, when you decide to really take a look, it's like lighting a match in a dark place. So you feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So it's easier to turn on your TV, it's easier to, mm -hmm. to play with your cell phone, to distract yourself mm -hmm. from those feelings. Well, when you understand that change really requires becoming uncomfortable to a certain degree, and that's normal, that you're yeah. leaving the known and Good. you're stepping into the unknown, Good. then it begs the question, what thoughts do you want to fire and wire in your brain? Because your attention on those thoughts begins to re reorganize circuitry, remold re the brain. Most people are waiting for their life to change. Yes. So they can feel gratitude, to feel abundance, to mm -hmm. feel whole. You know, that's the old model of cause and effect, you know. Mm -hmm. So if you're living with emptiness, you're living with lack, you're living with pain, most people have been conditioned that something out there has to take away this emptiness or feeling inside of them. But if you believe that you're creating your life and you're living by lack, well, lack isn't going to create abundance, right? Mm. So. So then it makes sense then that you don't really actually create wealth, you generate wealth, you oh, generate wow. abundance. So the moment you start teaching your body emotionally what that future is going to feel like before it's made manifest, well your body as the unconscious mind mm -hmm. believes it's living in that future in the present moment. Now, it's a scientific fact that it's the environment that signals the gene, okay? Mm -hmm. The end product from an experience in the environment is an emotion. So when you begin to embrace an elevated emotion, you're beginning to signal the gene ahead of the environment. What's the importance of that? Well, genes make proteins, and proteins are responsible for the structure and the function of your body. Mm. And the expression of proteins is the expression of life. So by you creating an elevated emotion and teaching your body what that future will feel like before it's made manifest, your body's starting to live in that future reality in the present moment. Now here's the key. If you were able to become familiar with gratitude, become familiar with wholeness, become familiar with abundance, to become familiar with freedom, and you're able to generate those chemicals every single day, 
More than likely, you would be walking around feeling like your future has already happened and you would no longer be looking for it to happen. You would already feel like it has happened. Now, what is the importance of that? Well, you're literally becoming somebody else. Yes. So you're leaving your lack, you're leaving your guilt, you're leaving your emptiness behind. So your personality, literally, Ed, is made up of how you think, how you act, and how you feel. And how you think, how you act, and how you feel is your personality, and your personality is intimately connected to your personal reality, your life. So then if you want to change your life, your personal reality, you got to change your personality. And here we go again. You got to start becoming conscious of your unconscious thoughts. You got to start noticing how you act, how you speak. You got to pay attention to how you're feeling. Some people would live in guilt their whole entire life and don't even know it's guilt because at least it feels like them. So then when you start doing that, you begin to objectify your subjective self. So, so then when you begin to make small changes, back to thought. Yeah. A new thought should lead to a new choice. Mm. A new choice should lead to a new behavior. A new behavior should create a new experience and a new experience should create a new emotion. Yes. And that new emotion is teaching your body chemically to understand what your mind is intellectually understood. Now your mm. body is embodying the truth, right? Mm. So then the new emotion should inspire new thoughts and that's called evolution. So how do we get stuck? It's really simple. The stronger the, the emotion you feel from some event in your life, be it a betrayal or a trauma or whatever, yes. the more altered you feel inside of you, the more you pay attention to the cause outside of you. So the brain takes a snapshot. It freezes an image and embosses that pattern neurologically in the brain. That's called a memory. Mm. So we create long-term memories from strong emotional events. Because of the size of our enormous forebrain, the privilege of being a human being is that we can make thought more real than anything else. And that's how the placebo works. To see how the process unfolds, it's vital to examine and review three key elements, conditioning, expectation, and meaning. As you'll see, these three concepts all seem to work together in orchestrating the placebo response. I will explain conditioning, the first element, to recap, conditioning happens when we associate a past memory. For example, taking an aspirin with a physiological change, getting rid of a headache, because we've experienced it so many times. Think about it like this. If you notice that you have a headache, essentially you become aware of the physiological change in your inner environment. You're feeling pain, the next thing you automatically do is look for something in your outer world. In this case, an aspirin. To create a change in your inner world, we could say it was your internal state, being in pain. That prompted you to think about some past choice you made, action you took or experience you had in your external reality that changed how you were feeling. Taking an aspirin and getting relief. Thus, the stimulus or cue from the outer environment called the aspirin creates a specific experience. When that experience produces a physiological response or reward, it changes your internal environment. The moment you notice a change in your inner environment, you pay attention to what it was in your outer environment that caused the change. That event where something outside of you changes something inside of you is called an associative memory. If we keep repeating the process over and over again, 
By association, the outer stimulus can become so strong or reinforced that we can replace the aspirin for a sugar pill that looks like an aspirin, and it will produce an automatic inner response, lessening the pain of the headache. That's one way the placebo works. Expectation, the second element, comes into play when we have reason to anticipate a different outcome. So, for example, if we have chronic pain from arthritis and get a new medication from the doctor who enthusiastically explains to us that it's supposed to alleviate our pain, we accept his suggestion and expect that when we take this new medication, something different will happen. We won't be in pain anymore. Then, in effect, our doctor has influenced our level of suggestibility. Once we become more suggestible, we're naturally associating something outside of ourselves. The new medication with the selection of a different possibility being pain-free. In our minds, we are picking a different future potential and hoping, anticipating, and expecting that we'll get that different result. If we emotionally accept and then embrace that new outcome we've selected, and the intensity of our emotion is great enough, our brains and our bodies won't know the difference between imagining that we've changed our state of being to being pain-free in the actual event that caused the change to a new state of being to the brain and the body. They are the same. Consequently, the brain fires the same neural circuits as it would if our state had changed. If the drug worked to relieve the pain, while it releases similar chemicals into the body, what we're expecting to be pain-free then actually happens because the brain and the body create the perfect pharmacy to alter our internal condition. We are now in a new state of being, that is, the mind and body are working as one. We're that powerful. Assigning meaning the third element to a placebo helps it work because when we give an action a new meaning, then we have added intention behind it. In other words, when we learn and understand something new, we put more of our conscious, purposeful energy into it. So, for example, the hotel maids, once the maids understood how much physical exercise they were doing every day just by performing their jobs, as well as the benefits of that exercise, they assigned more meaning to those actions. They weren't just vacuuming, scrubbing, and mopping. They realized they were working their muscles, increasing their strength and burning calories because the vacuuming, scrubbing, and mopping had more meaning after the researchers educated them about the physical advantages of exercise. The maid's intention or aim as they worked wasn't just to complete their tasks. It was also to get physical exercise and become healthier. And that's exactly what happened. The members of the control group didn't assign the same meaning to their tasks because they didn't know that what they were doing was beneficial to their health. So they also didn't receive the same benefits, even though they were performing exactly the same actions. The placebo works the same way. The more you believe that a particular substance, procedure, or surgery will work be, because you've been educated about its benefits, the better your chances of responding to the thought of improving your health and getting better. In other words, if you place more meaning behind a possible experience with a person 
place or thing in your external environment in order to change your internal environment. And then you're more likely to be successful at intentionally changing your inner state by thought alone. In addition, the more you can accept a new outcome related to your health, because you've been educated about the possible rewards of what you're doing, the clearer the model you're creating in your own mind. And so the better you'll be at priming your brain and your body to replicate exactly that. Simply said, the more you believe in the cause, the better the effect. Here's an example that will pull all of this together. I'm intentionally choosing a negative event because these types of events tend to keep us limited, whereas more successful, empowering, and uplifting events usually help us create a better future. So let's say that you had a horrific past experience with public speaking that scarred you emotionally. Feel free to substitute any emotionally scarring experience of your choice here. Because of that experience, you know, fear standing up to talk in front of a group of people. It makes you feel insecure, anxious, and anything but confident. Just thinking about looking out over a meeting room of even 20 people causes your throat to close up, your hands to go cold and clammy, your heart to race, your face and neck to flush, your stomach to twist, and your brain to freeze. All of these reactions come under the jurisdiction of your autonomic nervous system, the nervous system that functions subconsciously, below your conscious control. Think of autonomic as automatic. It's the part of the nervous system that regulates digestion, hormones, circulation, body temperature, and so on without your having any conscious control over them. You can't decide to change your heart rate alter blood flow to your extremities to cool them off, heat up your face and neck, change the metabolic secretions of your digestive enzymes, or shut off millions of nerve cells from firing on command. Try as you might to consciously change any one of these functions, you'll probably find that you won't be able to do it. So when your body makes these autonomic physiological changes, it's because you have associated the future thought of standing in front of an audience delivering a presentation with the past emotional memory of your flawed public speaking experience. And when that future thought, idea, or possibility is consistently associated with the past feelings of anxiety, failure, or embarrassment, in time the mind will condition the body to respond automatically to that feeling. This is how we continuously move into familiar states of being. Our thoughts and feelings become one with the past because we can't think greater than how we feel. Now let's take a closer look at how that works inside your brain. The particular event that was embossed and patterned neurologically as a past memory. Remember, experience enriches brain circuitry becomes physically wired in your brain just like a footprint. As a consequence, you can retrace your steps and recall the negative public speaking experience as a thought. In order for you to remember it on command, the experience must have had a significant enough emotional charge as well. So you can also emotionally bring to mind all of the feelings related to your foiled attempt to be a successful orator because it seems as though you were chemically altered from the experience. I want to point out that feelings and emotions 
are the end products of past experiences. When you're caught up in an experience, your senses capture the event and then relay all of that vital information back to your brain through five different sensory pathways. Once all of that new data reaches the brain, mobs of nerve cells organize into fresh networks to reflect the novel external event. The moment those circuits gel, the brain makes a chemical to signal the body and alter its physiology. That chemical is called a feeling or an emotion. Thus, we can remember past events because we can remind ourselves of how they felt. So when your lecture went amiss, all of the information that your five senses were picking up in your external environment changed how you were feeling in your inner environment. The information that your senses were processing, the sight of the faces in the audience, the expansiveness of the room, and the bright lights above your head, the echoing sound of the microphone and the deafening silence after your first attempted at joke, the immediate rise in the room's temperature, the moment you started talking, the smell of your old cologne evaporating from your own perspiration changed your inner state of being. And the moment you correlated this unique event in your outer world of senses, the cause with the changes going on in your inner world of thoughts and feelings, the effect you created a memory. You associated a cause with an effect and your own conditioning process began. So after the self-inflicted torture of that day, which fortunately ended with no rotten fruits or vegetables being thrown in your direction, you drove home. On the ride, you kept recalling the event over and over again. And to varying degrees, every time you reminded yourself, which is exactly that, reproducing the same level of mind, of your experience, you produced the same chemical changes in your brain and body. In a sense, you repeatedly reaffirmed the past and continued the conditioning process further. Because your body acts as your unconscious mind, it didn't know the difference between the actual events in your life that created the emotional state and the emotions you created by thought alone when you remembered the event. Your body believed that it was living in the same experience over and over again even though you were actually alone in the comfort of your car and the body responded physiologically as though you were indeed reliving that experience in the present time as you fired and wired the circuits in your brain that were derived from the thoughts related to that experience you were physically maintaining the synaptic connections and you were now creating even more lasting connections within those networks you were creating a long-term memory once you arrived home you told your partner your friends and maybe even your mother about the events of that day. As you described the trauma in grievous detail, you were working yourself into an emotional froth. As you also relived the emotions of the incident, you chemically conditioned your body to the day's past event. You physiologically trained your body to become your personal history, subconsciously, unconsciously, and automatically. In the days that followed, you were moody. People couldn't help noticing this, and every time someone asked you, what's wrong? You just couldn't resist. You opportunistically took them up on the invitation to become more addicted to the rush of chemistry from your past. The mood created from that experience was just 
one long emotional reaction lasting for days, when weeks of feeling the same way every time you remembered the event turned into months, even years, it became a prolonged emotional reaction. It's now not only a part of your temperament, character, and nature, but also your personality. It's who you are. If someone else asks you to talk in front of a group again, you automatically cringe, shrink, and become anxious. Your external environment is controlling your internal environment, and you're unable to be greater than it, as you expect the thought that your future, a public speaking opening, will be more like the feeling of your past, unlivable torment. Just like magic, your body as the mind automatically and subconsciously responds. Try as you might, it seems as if your conscious mind can gain no control over it. In a matter of seconds, a host of conditioned responses from your brain and body's own pharmacy manifest. Profuse sweating, dry mouth, weak knees, nausea, dizziness, shortness of breath, and uncontrollable fatigue, all from a single thought that changes your physiology. Sounds like the placebo to me. If you could, you'd turn down the opportunity to do the talk, saying something like, I am not a public speaker, I'm insecure in front of people, I am a bad presenter, I'm too afraid to talk in front of large audiences whenever you say what you are declaring is that your mind and body are aligned to a future or that your thoughts and feelings are one with your destiny you're reinforcing a memorized state of being if by chance you were then asked why you chose to be defined by your past as well as your own limitation I'm certain that you tell a story equal to your past memories and emotions affirming yourself to be that way you'd probably even embellish it a little. From a biological level, what you'd really be proclaiming is that you were altered physically, chemically, and emotionally from that event several years ago and haven't changed much since then. You've chosen to be defined by your own limitation. In this example, one could say that you're enslaved by your body because it has now become the mind. You're trapped by the conditions in your environment because the experience of people and things at a certain place in time are influencing how you think, act, and feel, and you're lost in time. Because by living in the past and anticipating the same future, your mind and body are never in the present moment. So in order to change your current state of being, you'd have to be greater than these three elements, your body, your environment, and time. The placebo is created from three elements. Conditioning, expectation, and meaning. You can now see that you are your own placebo. Why? Because all three elements come into play in the previous example. First, like a talented animal trainer, you've conditioned your body into a subconscious state of being where mind and body are one. Your thoughts and feelings have merged and your body has now been programmed to automatically, biologically, and physiologically be the mind by thought alone. And anytime a stimulus from your external environment is presented to you, like an opportunity to teach, you've conditioned your body just as Pavlov conditioned his dogs to subconsciously and automatically respond to the mind of the past experience. Since most of the placebo studies show that a single thought could activate the body's autonomic nervous system and produce significant physiological changes. 
then you're regulating your internal world by simply uh, associating a thought with an emotion. All of your subconscious autonomic systems are being reinforced neurochemically by the familiar feelings and bodily sensations related to your fear. And your biology perfectly reflects it. Second, if your expectation is that your future will be like your past, then you are not only thinking in the past, but also selecting a known future based only on your past and emotionally embracing that event until your body, as the unconscious mind, believes that it's living in that future in the present moment. All of your attention is on a known, predictable reality, which causes you to limit any new choices, behaviors, experiences, and emotions. You're unconsciously forecasting your future by physiologically clinging to the past. Third, if you assign meaning or conscious intention to an action, the result is amplified. What you're telling yourself on a daily basis. In this case, that you're not a good speaker and that public speaking elicits a panic reaction is what has meaning to you. You've become susceptible to your own auto-suggestions and... If your present knowledge is based on your own conclusions from past experiences, then without any new knowledge, you'll always keep creating the outcome that's equal to your mind. Change your meaning and change your intention. You change the results. So whether you've been trying to affect positive change to create a new state of being or you've been running on autopilot and staying stuck in the same old state of being, the truth is that You've always been your own place of 